How God Proved His Love for Us is the title of our message in this first of 30 messages on Christian growth. Where do we begin? We begin with salvation. That's where we have to start if we're talking about being disciples of Jesus Christ. We first have to be saved. Born again, as John 3 says, we have to receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. The verse that I have taken my title from is the eighth verse of Romans 5. We read it together. But God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God proved his love for us. Now, I want to add to the scriptures that we read from the back of the bulletin, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 23. You will need your Bible every Sunday in 83, even though these scriptures are on the back of your bulletin. Don't you dare walk out of your house and say, well, the scriptures will be on the back of the bulletin. I don't need my Bible. You bring your Bible. Be a Bible-toting Christian. Amen? How many of you have one with you today? Raise it up. Good. That's excellent. God bless you. I love to see the new converts come. Most of them have a Bible about that big. It's the old family Bible. I love to see it. It's great. The longer we are in the faith, the smaller our Bible gets until most old Christians carry it inside their vest, little teeny pocket knife. It's not even a sword, it's a pocket knife. I like the big one, see? The bigger the better, they show up. I love it. So, Mark 10, 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Big question. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Now, the paraphrase of that verse is, Believing me to be only a human teacher, why do you call me good? Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Isn't that tremendous? Just center on that a moment. You've heard from this platform today of the love of God. Terry just sang about it. He loves you. And here is that emphasis in verse 21. Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. I wonder what he would say to us today. 
as we enter a new year, would Jesus have to say to you, one thing thou lackest, or five things thou lackest, or whatever? One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad. He was sad at that saying and went away grieved because all of us like easy religion. Now, I added that. That isn't in the text, but that's the meaning. He was sad at that saying because we all like it easy. And he went away grieved for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, with what difficulty shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Could it be that some of the pressure that is upon us in America today, financially, is God-given pressure? Could it be that some of us are not smart enough to turn to God in our prosperity so he has to remove the prosperity so we will not perish in hell for eternity? Could it be? I would like to answer that question with a very resounding, absolutely, yes. I believe it's God-given pressure. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God uses pressure because he doesn't want us to perish. Pressure is better than perishing. For he said, with what difficulty shall they that have riches, and we are rich. You are rich. When you compare America with the rest of the world, we are rich and we are increased with good but yet we are poor spiritually. We can watch far more football than we can pray. And we can give $75, $100 for a new governor's bash, and we get complaining and angry when the preacher asks us to support missionaries. Do you hear me? Are you there? You got awfully quiet, and I'm hardly into my message yet. This young man in rich apparel came running to Jesus, and that's beautiful. And he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I be sure that I'll go to heaven at the end of the way? That ought to interest us all. And he's known in Scripture in three ways. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. He had money, he had youth, and he had power. When Jesus looked at him, he saw a great hunger in his heart. He had so much, but he was not satisfied. Isn't that intriguing? It's like a lot of you that have come to church today. 
You have much, but you're not satisfied. That's the way he was. He longed for something the world could not give him. There was something missing. There was a vacuum there. The world is full of such people today, running all over, seeking some new thrill. Deep inside is an aching void. The world leaves them empty-hearted and hungry-souled. The young man had one sore spot in his life. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't even an adulterer. He had kept all of the commandments, but his sin was his love for money, and he did not want to give it up. Therefore, he was breaking the very first commandment God gave in Exodus 20, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And my dear friends, here is the gauge of salvation. I don't care how many altars you've been to, I don't care how many times you've been baptized, how many communions you have taken, if you have other gods before thee, God, you're not a Christian. You're not ready for the coming of Christ. You're not ready to die if you have other gods before thee, God. You need to repent. You need to be washed in the blood. You need to come with joy and not with grief and deal with the commandments of our Lord Jesus Christ. His head was bowed, his shoulders were stooped, and he went away and committed spiritual suicide because of his love for money. Now, I want you to follow me carefully today how God proved his love for us. Let us look, first of all, at what this young man had. He had wealth, first of all. Robert Young, president of the New York Central Railroad, of years ago had a big salary, several homes, all that money could buy. One day, in an upstairs room in his Palm Beach home, he blew out his brains. His money did not bring happiness. The Bible does not condemn money, but it does condemn the love of it. Money can do wonderful things for God and for man. But when the time comes for you to go, all the money on earth will not buy you another minute or another opportunity to be saved. Not one. Analyze as I'm preaching to you right now that particular area of life. He had wealth. Secondly, he had morality. He could say, I have lived a clean life all my days. He could have made a good neighbor, a good citizen, a good husband, a good father, but human goodness without Christ is not true goodness. If a man tramples underfoot the Savior who died for him, he is guilty of the blackest sin. I know I am preaching 
to some in that category today. You are a good person, but you have not let Christ run your life. You have not let Christ into your heart. He said, all these I have observed. But a man who rejects Christ is not a good man. He was morally sound, but he was still lost. Thirdly, he had youth. Solomon said, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. If you don't live for Christ when you are young, you will have nothing good to look back upon. I have had adults come to me after conversion with tears streaming down their cheeks saying, Pastor, why didn't I listen when I was young? All of these years that I have wasted, all of the evil that I have done, all of the bad decisions I have made, all that I would have listened when I was young. I want to make a statement to you that I believe I have observed in this world. The devil has no happy old people. The devil has no happy old people. I have not found them. They're not around. The longer you put off living for Christ, the harder it is to make a decision, and the harder your heart becomes the more difficult life is. He was young, had a great opportunity, but rejected it. That's not all. He had social rank. He was high up in the community. The people standing round were interested in what the conversation was between Jesus and this person of high social rank. Some will give up their service for the Lord to rise in the social world. They will neglect their families. They will spend money they don't have just to get social recognition. I see it all around us. A woman of high society was converted under the ministry of Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman. One week after her conversion, she said to Dr. Chapman, I have had a full and interesting life. I have entertained the greatest people of America and the royalty of Europe. But I want to tell you that I have had more happiness and peace packed in this one week since I met Christ than in all the other years that I have lived. You know, it's so true. Christ means more than a high social life. If that's your goal, Junk it. Throw it out. It will never bring you happiness. It will never bring you peace. It didn't for this young man in Mark 10. He also had a form of religion. I want you to notice this. Some of you came to church today saying, well, I can really sit at ease in the sermon today. He's going to preach about salvation, and I've accepted Christ. You're wrong. I'm aiming both barrels right down your throat. He had a form of religion. He fasted. He tithed. 
and he went through all the forms of religion, but he still had an inner hunger, and so do you, no matter how religious you look on the outside. Dr. E. Stanley Jones said, For twelve years I have sat around the table with the leaders of all the world religions. I have heard all they have to offer, and I say that Jesus only has the remedy for the miseries of mankind. You see, it isn't religion that satisfies. It isn't religion that saves. It's a person. This is how God proved his love for us. He gave us a person. God commended his love for us or proved his love for us in that while we were still in the pig pen, he died for us. That's what makes Christianity so remarkable. That's what makes Christianity so wonderful. It's not a religion. It's not a form. It's a person. Though he had a form, he did not have a Savior. And there he was, standing right in his presence. There are some other observations from this text that are worthy to be made. He had good sense, just as you have had by coming to church. He came at the right time when he was young. He came to the right person. He had the right spirit. He knelt before Jesus in humility. He came seeking the right thing, eternal life, the most important search in all of life. He came, but yet Jesus had to say, One thing thou lackest. You see, all of these things can be right, and yet you can be wrong. That's the burden of my heart today. Now notice what he was offered. He was offered a Savior. Jesus did not argue theology with him. And I won't argue theology with anybody either. Jesus just offered himself. He said, come and follow me and you'll have it. That's the way Jesus is. It's not theology we need. It's a Savior we need. And then our theology lines up after we have the Savior. He offered him a cross, and this is where we sometimes stop in our spiritual quest. The cross would be the giving up of his money, the thing he loved the best. So he said no to Jesus. How foolish to hold on to some sin, some habit, some pleasure, some person that will keep us from the kingdom. We must be willing to give up before Christ can fill our lives with true riches and with redemption. He offered him a Savior and he offered him a cross, and he does the same to all of us today. Take up your cross and follow me. And he also offered him a home in heaven, treasure in heaven. He said, if you'll do this, you'll have treasure in heaven. Instead of going down, he would go up, and he refused it. Can you believe that? How could it be? How sweet it will be someday to hear Jesus say, I've been waiting for you. I have everything ready. Come on in. There is treasure that you have laid up in heaven. And here it is. I give it to you gladly. Oh, how wonderful is salvation. 
How could he ever refuse it? But he did. He walked away sorrowfully. He had great riches. So after looking at what he was and what he was offered, we have to look at what he did. He rejected the Savior. He forfeited eternal life. He wanted to be saved on his own terms. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ will never save you on your own terms, only on his. Some of you would rather use the word do instead of done. You've got to finish the word do. You've got to add the N-E and make it done. It is not by works of righteousness, Ephesians 2 says. We read it. It's not by what you do, but it's what he has done that counts. And if you will trust him in that, you will find eternal life. One of the great hymns we sing says it so well. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Let Jesus be Lord of your life. He rejected the Savior and forfeited eternal life, and secondly, he walked away. And you can do that today if you want to. Jesus Christ does not force himself on you. God proves his love for you in the gift of Jesus, but they, the Trinity, will never force you into that acceptance. It's free will, free choice. He walked away, but notice how he walks away. Is he laughing? Is he joyful? No, he's sorrowful. He is unhappy. He is sad. That is the way it is with anyone who rejects Jesus. If we were to find him on the street, we would ask why he looked so dejected. When finding out, you might suggest to him, that he hurry back and find Jesus. But he would probably say, no, I can't do it. I can't give up my sin. How incredible that is. Yet it happens every day of the world. Don't let it happen to you. He walked away, but he wasn't happy. He was filled with sadness and with remorse. I don't know if you detected the song the orchestra played during the offering. I hope you did. It is well, it is well with my soul. Dr. W.H. Major was pastor of the Capitol Avenue Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. The Lord took him home in the midst of that pastorate, and at the funeral the church was packed to the doors, a marvelous tribute paid to this man of God. And as the casket was wheeled down the aisle and out toward the hearse, the organist at the organ played very softly that hymn, It is well, it is well with my soul. Is it well with yours? Here was a man who had everything going for him, but yet rejected the one thing he needed the most, salvation, God's free gift. Don't let it happen to you. There's nothing in this world worth that kind of 
sacrifice. Give your life to Christ and be directed by him. Now, in contrast to this rich young ruler, I want to mention another man. We've heard about him in recent days quite a bit. His name is Joseph, the carpenter of Nazareth. I've been impressed with Joseph many times, but perhaps never so much as today, as I have thought about this theme, salvation, and how God proves his love for us. Joseph is a good example of a Christian. Here is how you can gauge yourself today. No matter how many years you've been a member of the church, no matter how much you think you know about the Bible, here is a gauge for you. Are you truly a Christian? The first way would be to look at Matthew 1, 18 and 19. He was compassionate. Joseph desired to shield Mary from the embarrassment of the community. Do you have love, true compassion in your heart? I know people who call themselves Christians who, who don't seem to love anything or anybody but themselves and what they have. The main theme of their song is me, 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 me. All you can hear. No compassion for the lost. No compassion for their family. No compassion for the world's poor. Me, 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 me. Joseph shielded Mary because of his compassionate heart. It's the mark of a Christian. A Christian loves. A Christian doesn't run around criticizing and complaining all the time. A Christian is not a backbiter and a fault finder. A Christian is filled with compassion. And the Christian says, if I was in his shoes, I might have done the very same thing. So he shields and protects. Joseph was compassionate. Matthew 1, 20 to 25, Joseph shows how his decisions were subject always to divine counsel. He married Mary as a direct result of God's guidance. He married her knowing there was a baby in her womb. because he was guided by God in his decisions. What tragedies there are around us today because we will not be guided by God's decisions. Christians are guided by God, by the Holy Spirit. Christians have access to angels. Christians have access to the Holy Spirit, heaven's counselor. Christians don't make decisions that cause their life ruin and despair. Are you a Christian? Joseph was a Christian. And his decisions came from God. Further, I see in Luke 2, 21 to 42, how faithful Joseph was. He was led by the Spirit. He had spiritual leadership. He presented the baby Jesus in the temple according to the law. He brought his family to Jerusalem for the Passover every year faithfully. 
When Jesus was 12 years old, he was found in the temple confounding the laws or the giver of the law and the doctors of the law and the rabbis. Because his father faithfully brought him to the house of God. What a lack in our time in the lives of Christians, faithful, spiritual leadership. Where is it? I ask, are you a Christian? Christians are faithful. You can depend on them. You can count on them. When they join the church and say, I'm going to pray for the church, I'm going to give the Lord His tithe, I'm going to support this with my presence faithfully, you count on that. But can you? Not near like we should be able to count on it. You see men taking spiritual leadership in their family. They're leading their children to God. They're leading the way in prayer and in attendance. Do we see it today? Not near what we ought to see. Are you a Christian? Joseph was a Christian. He was faithful in his spiritual leadership. If Joseph was a Sunday school teacher, he'd be there, wind, fog, sleet, snow, tornado. Joseph would have been there. The kind of man he was, he was faithful. Fourthly, he was responsible. He took the Christ into Egypt to protect him. From Herod, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, he became a fugitive for Christ's sake, and he never complained one moment about it. That's what a Christian is like. He may not understand everything that is going on around him, but he's, he's responsible. That's the way Joseph was. And finally, he was sensitive, Matthew 2, 19 to 23, he returned to Israel as God directed him. He was very, very sensitive to God. Are you a Christian? Are you a true follower of Jesus Christ? Or would you have to be honest? And dear friend, in love I say, be honest. For once in your life, be honest. Would you have to say, I run my life. I call the shots. I dictate what's going to happen in my life. Honestly, that's what I do. But today, I'm going to truly be a Christian. I'm going to become responsive to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to become faithful. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to let Jesus run my life. God will prove his love for you if you'll answer him in the affirmative. Are you a Christian? You cannot pick up your religion on the front steps of this church and come on inside and then on the way out deposit it on those steps. You cannot do that. It's got to be 24 hours a day, 100%, or it's nothing at all. 
That's the first chapter in our discipleship series. In conclusion, let me tell you the story. Just hold it. Just, just hold it. Thank you. Just a moment. Let me tell you about a little boy. It might help you to tie in. A little boy was visiting his grandparents, as many do at Christmas time, holiday time. And this little boy had been given a slingshot for Christmas, and he, of course, as any young boy would do, wanted to try it out. So he would go out into the woods behind his grandparents' home, and he would hit trees and shoot at anything he could find. On the way back through the backyard of his grandparents' home, he saw his grandmother's pet duck. And this was a challenge, unprecedented. And it overtook him, and he put a rock in there, and you know he had become pretty good with that thing, kind of like David in the Old Testament, and he hit that duck right in the head, and it dropped dead. He was panic-stricken, and he ran and got that duck and hid it in the woodpile. That night, his little sister Sally was supposed to do the dishes, and she said to her grandmother, Grandmother, I think Johnny wants to do the dishes tonight. And as she said that, she whispered in his ear, I saw what happened today. And Johnny volunteered for the dishes. And this went on for days. The next day, the grandparents were going into town, and they said, Sally, you have to stay behind because it's your time to clean up the house. And she said, well, Johnny wants to do it today. He wants to stay behind and reminded him of the incident. This went on and on, much to the chagrin of Johnny, and finally one day he couldn't take it any longer. And he came over to Grandma and he said, Grandma, I've got something to tell you. And Grandma smiled and said, Johnny, I know all about it. I was standing at the kitchen window when it happened. And she said, because I love you, I have forgiven you. And knowing that I loved you and would always forgive you, I wondered just how long you would let Sally make a slave out of you. Now, friend, that's exactly our problem. How long are you going to let something make a slave out of you when you have the opportunity to be free in Jesus Christ, when you have the opportunity to truly be saved, to truly be a Christian, to truly enter into the presence of Jesus with joy and gladness and never have to walk away sorrowful? and sad with your shoulders stooped and your head down. You can come with your head up, with spring in your step, totally free of any sin of the past if you determine that Jesus will be Lord and Master of your life from this day forward and forevermore. That's salvation. 
It's Joseph's experience. It's being compassionate and faithful and concerned and dedicated. It's making Jesus number one in 1983. Not number ten. Not number five. Not number two. Number one where we give up the throne of our life and let him sit on it and we get on the outside. We put ego down. We put self down and we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. He's coming for those who have made him Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? Let's bow our heads in prayer, please, all over the sanctuary. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. And let the Holy Spirit help you in your thinking. Lord, You know the burden and passion of my heart is that not one of these dear friends perish and miss the coming of Christ and also that their life be full and meaningful in 83, that they really have it together. So, Holy Spirit, you can do what I can't do, and I'm depending on you now to do it. Draw them to the cross. Draw them to the place of commitment, to the place of surrender. Oh, Jesus, let us enter into this new year with a direct honesty with you. We won't be hypocritical anymore. We'll not pick our religion up on the steps and deposit it there when we leave. But we'll truly be Christians, proving God's love for us. Hallelujah. Let's all stand quietly. and.